Welcome to the global live stream. We're in part four of our series called Not Of It. And the reason we titled the series Not Of It is because when Jesus describes a follower of, of himself to followers, he tells them, you are not of the world. You're not of this active cultural system that you're swimming in that has values, that has beliefs, that has ways of thinking, that has ways of living, listen, that either exclude God or are openly hostile uh, to God. And he's setting up this heavyweight battle as he's describing to his followers how they gotta think, how they gotta live. He's, he's setting up this, this, this contest, this heavyweight championship for control of their lives. That's the prize. You have culture and its values and beliefs, and then you have Christ, and both are competing for control of your heart and your soul and your mind and your identity and your energy and your expression. Now here's the irony in setting up this, this big battle. Jesus wants his men to know, hey, you're not of cosmos, culture. Uh, that world, but at the same time, I want the world that you're in, that you're not of, to feel your presence and to see your presence. He says, you're salt. I want you to influence that world that you're in by contact. He says, you're light. I want you to influence that world that you're in by contrast. So influence it, but don't let it influence you, if that makes sense, right? So when you think about living out your Christian life, it's almost uh, like uh, an international uh, spy uh, story, like the Bourne identity, where you have uh, men on mission, they can't be compromised by the enemy, and they have to be very shrewd and they have to be very guarded, and they have to be very discerning, and they have to, to think on their feet, and they have to discern uh, and kind of be ahead of what their potential enemy is doing. And that's what we talked about last time. Jesus said, hey, to be in the world, but be not of the world, to influence it, but not be influenced by it, you gotta be shrewd and you gotta be innocent because I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And we talked about what that means, about how we can be a snake dove, shrewd as a serpent, innocent as a dove, while we're on mission in the world to achieve our mission. You gotta guard your mind, you gotta discern God's will, you gotta root out Satan's strategies. You gotta stay clean. You gotta steer clear of sin. You gotta stick to God's ways and mission. Because the battle for God's man, while he's alive on planet Earth, is not to be compromised. Don't take the bait. Don't get taken out. And so we're gonna, again, reiterate Jesus's words to the disciples in another passage of scripture in John chapter 15. And we're gonna look at how uh, we can not gain the world and lose our soul, but actually lose the world and gain our soul and our mission and our purpose. So let's look at John chapter 15, verse 19. It's a restatement of what we've been talking about in this series. Jesus says to his followers, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. 
As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. It is both a fact that Jesus is communicating and an explanation. So he's telling them the facts about who they are, but it's also an explanation uh, that they wouldn't be bound to think like or believe like the culture around them. And that's what it means. When you don't belong to something, it means you're not bound. And I wanted to unpack that a little bit. It means you're not either bound by birth, all right? And that means that you're born again. You have a new birth and you're not bound by that anymore. Second, you're not bound by allegiance, right? Your loyalty and your love has been transferred from the world over to Christ. Third, you're not bound by dependency. You're not dependent on the culture around you to assign meaning, assign worth, assign value, okay? Number four, you're not bound by ownership, right? The, the, you're, you're, not, you're not bound by some obligation or ownership. And then fourth, you're not bound by possession. Jesus makes all these distinctions about how his disciples are born again, how they have a new loyalty and a new love. You don't need to depend on the world out there to define you or assign value or assign meaning or assign identity, right? You're, you're not, you don't belong to them anymore. They don't have ownership. The culture does not have ownership of you uh, and it doesn't possess you or control you any longer. We're not bound to helping culture reach its goals, but we are bound to a whole new other world and set of goals. And that's the purposes and plans of God. Now, I wanted to bring us into this battle uh, for control right into the heart of Jesus's life because uh, Jesus experienced this battle. And if Jesus lives in you, and if, you're, if you belong to him, you're gonna experience it too. And we find that battle, uh, him talking about it, in Mark chapter eight, uh, he says this, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the world, but lose your own soul? And so again, Jesus is taking his followers into the cost of what it means to follow him and the battle, where there will be a battle of losing and gaining. Uh, if you gain the world, uh, you become less sticky in your soul to Christ. But if you become more sticky in your soul to Christ on the inside and Christ is in control, you're gonna uh, inexorably lose, the, the culture in the world is gonna lose control over you. Again, it's a battle for control. And we see this battle for control and Jesus fighting not to be compromised in his mission in Luke chapter four, where we see the devil who is the God of this world, the Bible says, make a run at the son of God to get him to compromise and to lose his soul and gain the world. So we gotta study Jesus here in Luke chapter four, and then we're gonna unpack a little bit how that's gonna work out practically. Right? But listen to kind of the dynamics. Then the devil took him up 
and reveal to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they're mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And this is the, the original make a deal with the devil attack, right? But you see that it is a moment in time, Satan comes with uh, an offer. He wants to compromise Jesus's mission. And the way he's gonna get him to do that is to tempt him with power and authority and everything that is in the world, the possessions of the world, the power in the world, right? The, 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 the visibility uh, that, that would come with all of that. But there's a cost. Uh, you're gonna have to worship him. And it's so interesting to me that, and so subtle where in our own walk with Jesus, this same strategy uh, is employed, but isn't it so subtle, right? It can come in so many forms where we can trade out worshiping Christ uh, and we can take in and take on worship of the world, but it's so subtle. Visibility, appetites, little power games, it's all uh, a microcosm of this same spiritual battle. So if Satan wasn't afraid to make a run at Jesus, he's not gonna be afraid at all of making a run at us. And he has the same plays over and over again. And the reason he runs them over and over again is because they're very powerful and they're very uh, effective, all right? So when Jesus says in Mark 8, if you gain the world, you lose your soul. Um, we have to then kind of flip it. All right, and we have to ask ourselves, well, okay, how do we lose the world and lose its power and lose its control over us so we're not compromised and stay on mission and gain our soul? And that's where I wanna talk about just three simple ways for you to lose the world and gain your soul. And the first way to lose the world and gain your soul is by obeying your God versus obeying your flesh. Now, for a lot of us, we don't need a big education on what that means. It just means that, that you have a choice and you can obey your impulses and you can obey your appetites physically, sexually, uh, emotionally, or in that moment, you can obey God. And every time you obey your God versus obey your appetites or your flesh, right? you will lose the world and you will gain your soul. We see Jesus actually do this very thing in a moment in time where he obeys God and he doesn't obey his flesh. And it's, it's in Luke chapter four, it's in this, this encounter with the devil. And when, when I read this, I don't want you to separate yourself from it. Put yourself right there because it's the same run at you that Satan's gonna take today. All right, listen to what the Bible says. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit to the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. 
Then the devil said to him, If you're the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No! The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone. So we have this encounter. Satan's timing is right on. It's perfect. It's targeted. Uh, Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting. And that's his commitment. This is his test. And right at that moment, at the low point physically, uh, is a suggestion. Hey, Jesus, if it, you know, if you're the son of God, you know, why don't, why don't you flex a little muscle here and why don't you give in to your appetite right now? And isn't that, isn't that always the crossroads and the suggestion? Hey, let's give in to our appetite, right, physically, or let's give in to our appetite sexually. Let's give in to our appetite emotionally. Give in to the emotion, give in to the anger. Why don't you just let it ride, all right? Push all your chips to the table right there. And you have to see in this passage the two things that saved Jesus in this moment. The Bible says he went into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit, and then he has ready inside of him an answer to the suggestion to compromise. He has the answer of obedience versus impulse. And that is the scriptures say. So Jesus is filled with the spirit and he has the scriptures in his heart and on his mouth. How does he defeat his appetite to compromise and eat when he's fasting? He is full of the Holy Spirit and he speaks the word of God. You know today guys, um, you're gonna, you're gonna be tempted. You might be tempted with porn. You might be tempted to give in to your anger. You might be tempted, uh, you know, to to do something physical, right? Which you know is not aligned with God's plan. How are you gonna defeat that? Let me ask you a question. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit right now? That's why I wake up every day. I say two things. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Second statement: Holy Spirit. Fill me, Holy Spirit, control me. Holy Spirit, lead me, right? Be filled with the Spirit and have the Word of God in you and you will stand a much better chance of obeying your God versus obeying your flesh. Now it talks about this uh, in Romans uh, chapter eight, where it says, listen, those who are dominated, right? See the battle for control, flesh versus spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, they think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about the things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. See the battle inside for control? The devil has a partner in us. It's called the sinful nature, our flesh, our appetites or, or self. 
It's the boy. It's the one who gives in to impulse. It's the one who wants what he wants, when he wants it, in the form that he wants it. But when Christ comes into our lives, we are given, there's a new sheriff in town. His name is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that God pours the spirit of his son into our life. And now, where the flesh used to be the only one in control, now we have the Holy Spirit, and there is a war for control. That's why the language in the Bible is those who are dominated by the sinful nature, right? When you're dominated by the sinful nature, you're thinking about sinful things, you're thinking about satisfying your appetites, you're thinking about pleasing yourself. But when you're dominated by the Holy Spirit, you're thinking about the things that please God. You're thinking about how you can obey God. You're thinking about uh, things that aren't hostile to God, but things that please God. So it's a battle for control. Guys, listen to this. It's a battle for control, right? Just like we talked about uh, at the top of today's study. It's you have a mission. God wants you to influence the world that you're in. There's a battle for control of your life. And if the enemy using the active power of the culture around you, your flesh, right, your selfish appetites, right, and his lies, if he can get you to take the bait, right, you're compromised, you're not a factor, you're not an influencer, right? That's the battle that we're in. So if we want to lose the world and gain our soul, right, we need to obey our God versus obey our flesh. The second way we lose the world and gain our soul is by generously giving versus selfishly keeping, right? Generously giving versus selfishly keeping. You see, in the world, it's all about you. You'll notice in these, uh, in these main points that we're always contending with self or making it about you, all right? So the way that you gain control is you obey God and then you are like God. That's why I'm talking about generously giving versus selfishly keeping, right? The best, the best uh, defense is a good offense, right? Now let's, let's drill down on this whole idea of being generous versus being selfish. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11, it just talks to us about who God is, right? And let's start there. It says this, this most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can then give away, which grows into full formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, listen, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. You know, one of the best ways to not be selfish and to have influence in the world is to be generous. Like God, you see, when you watch TV or when you get marketed by everybody on social media platforms or, or through live stream TV or just through regular TV, it's all about how you can serve you, right? How you can self-gratify, how you can self-preserve, how you can uh, be self-important, right? So the way that you battle against the culture is that you become a generous giver. The focus is not on you, the focus is on other people. And to be generous uh, with others in a way like God is. Where when the Bible talks about 
how generous God has been with us in Christ, it uses like Christmas morning languages. If you were a kid ever and you got bombarded by presents maybe in, in the morning on Christmas, just like, okay, what did you do to deserve that? Mm, probably nothing, but it's because your parents loved you. All right, that's the kind of generosity. It's like big generosity where people may not even deserve what you're giving them, but you're giving it to them. Why? Because that's how God has treated you, right? God so loved the world that he gave, right? And, and that is, our, that is our, our secret sauce right there for generosity, is our own salvation. God so loved the world that he gave, and he didn't go small. He gave his very best to us. He gave us Christ. Now, if you are a generous person, like your generous God, who has given to you generously, so that as you have freely received his generosity, you can freely give, guess what happens? Your world will then expand, right? That's what the Bible promises. In Proverbs 11, it says this, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. You ever heard that phrase, you know, it's better to give than to receive? You ever said to yourself, man, you know what? The person uh, who's blessed is, is me. When you've gone and served or you've you've given time, you've given talent, you've given treasure to somebody else. The person who is enriched and the person who is expanded, yeah, it's the person that you gave to, but guess what? Your heart is enlarged, right? You become more controlled uh, by God. Why? Because you are battling, right? It's so, it's so interesting. Being generous is actually battling against the world because the world is about selfishly keeping. Right? And, and so as you go through your day-to-day, -day, you're going to be tempted to, to, to keep space, keep things, keep, you know, and, and God's just going, you know what, if uh, in that instance you just kind of want to make space for someone, or instead of focusing on yourself, be generous and celebrating them, or maybe it's you're going to give something, right? That is winning the battle against the world and not being compromised in your mission, right? So generous people, their world expands. Stingy people, their world shrinks, right? They don't see others, they only see themselves. So there's your first two battle strategies. Obey your God, don't obey your appetites or your flesh. Generously give, right, versus selfishly keep. Number three, elevating others versus edifying self, right? That's how you lose the world uh, and you gain your own soul. Right, look at what it says in Matthew 23. Jesus is talking to a group of guys who really are into elevating themselves, all right, with religion. They're actually using God and their religious activities and their religious behaviors to bring attention to themselves. And you know what? Jesus fires this one across the bow in Matthew 23, verses 11 and 12. He says, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Now, we see this lived out in the life of Christ. Here you have a king in a perfect realm, perfect rule, perfect reign, perfect environment, and that king humbles himself 
and takes the form of a servant, comes to earth, and in humbling himself, he becomes even greater than he was before. Now, where Jesus would call us to do the same and be like him, to humble ourselves, culture, the world says, no, exalt yourself. Don't humble yourself, exalt yourself. Jesus says, descend into greatness. Culture says, no, you gotta be more visible and raise yourself up into greatness. But the question is, how do you do that? How do you humble yourself versus exalt yourself? How do you elevate others versus edify yourself? Well, it tells us how to do that in Philippians chapter two, all right? It says this, just put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. You know, I can tell that a person knows Christ when they're fully okay elevating others and, um, and, and lifting them up and helping them get ahead versus taking advantage of the situation and edifying themselves or stealing the spotlight, right? And, and that's a discipline. And the only way to do it is through a relationship with God. And we're gonna talk about that. You have to be inwardly a very secure man, right? To make it your life about generosity toward others and elevating others versus elevating yourself. Now, we shouldn't have to look far for motivation to do this because uh, in a literal, spiritual, eternal way, uh, we're elevated ones. Listen to uh, David talk about this in Psalm 40. It says this, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, and many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. You know, here's what you need to know about Christianity. Christianity is a faith of rescue. It's a faith where you just couldn't unstick yourself from sin. God needed to reach down and he needed to spot you. He needed to send Christ to save you and that slimy pit where you were spinning your wheels, you couldn't get out, he had to lift you out and set your feet on a rock so that you could get some traction in your life. And so when our faith in Christ is about our own rescue and about how God lifted us up, it's a sign, it's an indicator of what kind of man we, we should be, right? We should be a man who obeys God versus obeys his flesh. We need to be a man who generously gives versus selfishly keeps. We need to be a man who elevates others versus edifying ourselves. Why? Because that's our experience. Freely we've received, freely we give. Now, I mentioned just a minute ago that to live this kind of life, to not be compromised, to stick to God's way as the world is trying to influence and the mastermind of the world is trying to influence us, Satan, and he's got some 
a working partner in our flesh inside and there's a battle going on there, we have to work on our insides, right? Not to take the bait, to become strong inwardly. And it talks about this in Ephesians chapter three. Listen to uh, Paul's prayer for Christians and let's make this a prayer for ourselves right now, literally in faith. Will you join me in faith and let's, let's ask the Father, all right? Ephesians 3, 16, 19. I ask the Father in his great glory to give you the power to be strong inwardly through his spirit. I pray that Christ will live in your hearts by faith and that your life will be strong in love and will be built on love. And I pray that you and all God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love, how wide and how long and how high and how deep that love is. Christ's love is greater than anyone can ever know, but I pray that you will be able to know that love. Then you can be filled with the fullness of God. Amen. Say amen. That is what we need to not take the bait of the culture versus Christ. That's what we need to obey God versus our flesh. That's what we need to generously give versus selfishly keep. That's what we need to elevate others versus edifying self. We have to be so filled and secure inside in the love of God that we are then free to make those decisions because we're full. We're not in, in deficit. We're not bound by the world. So let's unpack that. Inwardly strong means secure in God's love. And it, the first part of that means I'm fully accepted by God. I'm fully accepted by God. You see, when a person comes to Christ, the message to them is, hey, your chase for acceptance it's over. The fight's over. So you don't have to compete for visibility anymore. Why? Because you know the width, you know the height, you know the length, you know the depth of love. You are full in that category. So you don't need to chase any acceptance out in the world or visibility. You're full. You are fully accepted by God in Christ. Secondly, you're fully loved, right? That is a huge spiritual battle. Does God fully love me? Does God fully love me when things aren't going great? Should I doubt his love when things aren't going great or when adversity happens? No, why? Because he's done the one thing to let you know for all eternity that you don't ever have to doubt his love or his presence. He did that. He died on a cross for you. You see, we never question a person's passion or commitment for anything when that person does the most radical thing to show how committed they are. That's why Jesus went to the cross so that you would never ever have to doubt ever again. That's why he gave us communion because we're supposed to remind ourselves. Not only are we fully accepted by God and we don't need to chase acceptance, but we are fully loved by God and we never have to doubt that love. Why? Because he did the most radical thing he could possibly do to show us that he fully 
loves us. We never have to doubt his love. And in fact, it's our job to discipline ourselves to remind us, remind ourselves of how fully we are loved. And then third, we are fully defined by God. Jesus's act of love, his crucifixion and his resurrection, that act, it tells us who we are. So we're fully accepted, we're fully loved, and we're fully defined by God's love. And when that happens, when we know the fullness of that love, all the, all the Twinkies and potato chips and unhealthy things out there that the world is offering, we don't need that stuff. That's the rip-off stuff. That's rip-off meaning, rip-off acceptance, rip-off love, right? And rip-off masculinity. We don't need that, and neither does the world right now in the middle of this cultural riptide. And the Bible talks about this, that we have to really be rooted uh, in God's love. It says this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. What does that look like? Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So, I don't know if you've ever seen sort of a side rendering of a tree. Up on top is the, is, is, is the tree and the branches, and then you'll have a side rendering, and below you can see the rooting system. You can see the oblique roots. You can see the lateral roots. You can see those little sinker roots, and then you can see the tap root. Okay, the tap root is the one that goes out and searches, listen, for nutrients and for water. And sometimes tap roots can grow up to 400 feet long. And there is this rooting that happens where even in the life of a tree, the rooting below the surface happens a lot more than growth up top in the first couple of years. Why? Because this has to support what's up here. All right, so what's the Bible saying? Rooted and built up. What, God's saying to us, we gotta grow down and we have to find that aquifer, that water table, those nutrients that is God's love. We have to grow down before we can grow up. Otherwise, we'll build this religious life above the ground, but our rooting system below won't be able to support it. And down you go. You're gonna take the bait. If you're not rooted in God's love, you'll take the bait. Might as well even say that together. If I'm not rooted in love, I take the bait, right? Why, because you're in deficit. The life you've built up here, even if it's religious, right? You don't have the rooting system in God's love like Paul prays for us, like the Bible wants us to have, rooted in Christ's love. And so we will take the bait. And so that's where we need to not just receive Christ, but continue to live our lives in him, rooted and built up. And then it says, strengthened in the faith. So our rooting system in God's love, we're fully accepted, fully loved, fully defined by God's love. We're full, which means we don't need to take those other cheap forms of, of masculine approval, or we don't have to listen to our appetites. Why? Because we're full. Are you full today? Are you full of God's love? Have your roots gone down? Are you searching for that aquifer, that water table that God has planted there called his love? And are you growing down 
so that you can support what's up here, so you can grow up. You know, part of that understanding comes from being motivated to pursue God's love, to grow up top, to battle the world, not be of it, but to influence it. It comes from just knowing who you belong to. Now, if we didn't belong to the world and we belong to God, we need to remind ourselves of that. And it talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You see, there it is again. Jesus tells his followers, hey, you're not of the world, all right? You're in it, but you're not of it. You belong to me, you're bound, all right? I have ownership and I bought you with a massive price. You were bought at a price, his blood. And so now not belonging to the world and belonging to Christ, we can then move from that place and we can obey God versus obey our flesh. Knowing that we belong to Christ, we can uh, be generous givers versus selfish keepers. Knowing that we belong to Christ, we can elevate others and not edify ourselves. Fully loved, fully accepted, fully defined by Christ's act of love. We're full, you don't need to take the bait anymore. Even though you're gonna get tempted. The same attacks that Satan put on Jesus He's gonna make a run at you. The lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, the boastful pride of life. He's gonna go after you consistently. But guess what? The rooted man, the man rooted in his love, who's full. When you're full, you're not in deficit. When you're not in deficit, you don't take the bait. I'm gonna say that one more time. When you're full, you're not in deficit. And when you're not in deficit, you don't take the bait. You're not hungry for that, all right? So you see the whole picture that that's being built where Jesus says, hey, you don't belong to the world, but I want you to influence it, not, I want you to influence it, but not let it influence you. How do you do that? Man, you have to be filled, not in deficit. Because if you're in deficit, you take the bait. And some of you watching me right now, you're in deficit. And that temptation is at work. That temptation is another woman, that temptation is online and God is saying to you, you need to understand on the inside how you are fully loved, fully accepted, and fully defined by my love. And guys, I, I can't stress enough where if you're gonna win the battle and if you're gonna complete your mission, that has to be true of you because God's love is like a fail safe it's something that kicks on when adversity is on us. It's something that kicks on when we're making choices about, boy, do I give in to that or do I not give in to that? God's love is what saves us. It's our fail safe. It makes us secure on the inside versus fearful. Because when you're insecure, not full of love, and fearful somehow that you're gonna miss out, right? that's when we take the bait. And that's when we become compromised. And so as we wrap up today's study, that's what we need to be focused on. Because the secret in this whole battle, right, of being in the world and not of it, 
and to influence it and not let it influence us is the love of God through Jesus Christ. And experiencing that for yourself, experiencing his full acceptance so you don't chase acceptance, experiencing his full love and seeing it demonstrated on the cross so you never doubt his commitment or his presence. And then letting that act of love, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, define you fully so that you, as God's man, are dead to sin, but you are alive to God. Let's pray along those lines right now. Jesus, we thank you for our calling. We thank you that we're not bound by birth or by allegiance or by dependence or ownership or possession to the world, but we are bound to you because of your love. Lord, our allegiance, it's with you. We are so grateful and thankful that we are owned and possessed by you. We're so grateful that we can depend on you. And Lord, in this journey, in this battle, to complete our mission and to not be compromised by the world, the flesh, and the devil, and to stick to our assignments where we are until we meet you, Lord, we want to be rooted. We want to be full of the love of God. And so right now, the best we know how, Lord, once again, we receive your love through Jesus. We thank you for who he is. We thank you for sending Jesus in love and so loving us that you extravagantly blessed us. You were so generous with us. And Jesus, we receive your love. We receive our full acceptance by God through you. Thank you for your passion and commitment for us. Lord, we remind ourselves of that. And Lord, thank you for fully defining us through your own act of love, through your crucifixion, and through your resurrection. Lord, we are defined by that. We are crucified with you. We are dead to sin. We are resurrected in you. We are alive to you right now. And we declare that in Jesus' name, that we are dead to sin, alive to God with full access and full authority through you, Jesus, to God so that we can complete our mission. Lord, I pray for every man right now that's listening to the sound of my voice, Lord. I pray that you would seal his commitment to you by the blood of Christ. I pray that as he walks into his day, Lord, that you would give him the ground he walks on and give him your authority to take territory to not obey his flesh, but to obey your word, to be generous like you're generous, and to see and elevate others and put others first versus edify themselves. God, thank you that you've equipped us through your love to do that. And now I ask for movement. I ask for the hundreds of millions of men who name your name today, that they walk into their day today full of your love, overflowing, and able to be salt and light. In Christ's name we pray, and God's men said, amen.